what do the terms equinox and solstice mean? Why are there two of each in a year? How do the old civilizations feel about the drastic difference in daylight, depending on their latitude, of course, between long summer days and just as long winter nights? How do plants and other animals react to these seasonal changes? The Earth is a roughly spherical planet mostly covered in water, which is flying through space at unbelievable speeds. Lucky for us, we are in orbit around exactly the type of star that has made life possible. As we have studied the nature of life here, it has become increasingly clear that our orbit is but one of many factors. It all comes down to cycles. Sea monkeys are only one type of animal adapted to suspended animation. Birds migrate, so do whales and many others. Ponds dry up and eventually flood again. Cycles of life and death rule every species, with some preferring to wait longer than a winter hibernation, like the cicada that emerges after years in biblical numbers. Then they breed like crazy and die almost all at once, covering the forest floor in protein-rich snacks. Cyclical changes are so important here that life would end without them. The combination of our orbit rotation and tilt create a kind of cosmic timepiece. For us in the Northern Hemisphere, the entirety of seasonal changes are caused simply by the fact that as the Earth is wobbling, we are tilted slightly toward the sun in summer and away from it in winter. Naturally, this reverses the seasons for the Southern Hemisphere dwellers in much the same way that only half the planet can be in full sun at a time while the opposite side is in our shadow at night. While the length of a day is based on the sun being visible, it is also based on how far from the equator you are. At the equator, the days and nights are always the same length. In the far north and far south, the difference in daylight length is so exaggerated that people must spend months in either an endless day or endless night, according to season. If the earth did not have a tilt, seasonal weather extremes might have stabilized into climate rings from pole to pole. But we can't forget that weather is influenced by many other factors, and the equator might be uninhabitable at that point. Also profoundly important is the fact that the moon orbits us due to our gravity. However, it likewise pulls on us as we can see mostly easily in the oceans. This creates both tides and a system for circulating a vast quantity of water, thereby preventing the oceans from becoming stagnant. These planetary factors and others overlap to create a world where everything is always changing around us. Humans have been keenly aware of the passage of time for many thousands of years. Archaeologists have found numerous ancient devices for tracking time all over the world. A given volume of oil in a lamp should burn for a certain length of time, night after night. People living by lamplight would be keenly aware of this. A useful candle label should state how many hours it will burn. We have all seen an hourglass, but those operate like even older so-called water clocks. From ancient Babylon through the Roman times, specific water clocks were designed which would take a set volume of water and slowly transfer it into another chamber. 
These devices were used to measure a person's shift or the length of a speech, etc. Before sundials and mechanical clocks were invented, people had ingenious ways of counting days as well as grouping them into larger, more discernible units like months and years. We have found so many stone fixtures meant to mark key points across the year that some researchers distinguish man-made ruins from natural stone placements using telltale markings that may show where the angle of the sun falls at particular times of the year. In some cases, this builds into larger theories, for as many places as humans now live, even more have been abandoned and lost. From Anasazi Pueblos to the vast area of Doggerland, submerged near the UK, people have left towns over and over with only occasional obvious reasons. The Azores are an archipelago of islands located between Portugal and North America. Unlike many other colonies founded at the time, there were no indigenous people living there before the Portuguese came. Despite being a nice tropical location, it was rather far from Europe. However, we now know that the Vikings were the true first Europeans in North America. They traveled back and forth to Northern Europe through cold waters, past Iceland and Greenland. They probably left North America for practical reasons, such as conflicts with the people already there and the sheer distance from their main trading partners. Whether the Azores were populated by Vikings or others from Europe, or perhaps some forgotten Native Americans, as far as we know, the Portuguese were there first. Or were they? There exist multiple flat stone pyramids there which have gotten little press. They are known as Maroe Suge, and they are a monument-scale piles of rock thought to have been created by farmers clearing fields. However, it has been suggested that they are older than the colonies that grew around them. There are also caves on those islands which may have been used for rituals or tombs which look a lot like Bronze Age European structures rather than the ones from the 1400s. Many rocks have carvings and there are many with cup-shaped holes bored in rows, seemingly for no reason. In a cave called Grotta do Medo, ceramics from the Bronze Age have allegedly been found. More research is surely needed to determine when, why, and who. We could spend all day talking about the ways people have counted days. Instead, let's take a look at the reasons. Primarily, the most important days of the year have always been the two solstices and equinoxes. From Latin, solstice literally means the sun standing still. Equinox correspondingly means equal night. Together, they mark four points across the year based on the length of the day. During the winter solstice here in the north, the day is shortest and the night is longest. Summer solstice is the opposite. Spring or vernal equinox and fall or autumnal equinox mark the two times a year that the day is equal to the night. There are many holidays clustered around these four days, some not by coincidence. Easter derives from the goddess Ishtar and her fertility holiday just so happens to be during spring, yet nobody seems to question why we celebrate with rabbits and eggs. Valentine's Day is a pretty wintry occasion. Christmas is only four days into winter, 
yet we celebrate it as a quintessential winter holiday. We are told it commemorates the birth of Jesus, yet his birth is likely to have been months off. However, the god Horus had his birthday on December 25th, and the church was always happy to overwrite so-called pagan holidays with their own. And so, it is perhaps more accurate to think of Christmas as a solstice holiday rather than a winter one. Those aspects are still remembered here and there in some of our traditions. The Yule logs and decorated evergreen trees hearken back to a time when Europeans were isolated and cold, ready to hunker down for a season before they might see their neighbors again. The fading daylight of the northern hemisphere was like a bad omen bringing darkness and snow. Despite this, the winter solstice not only signifies the start of winter, but also creates the opportunity to look ahead toward a new start in spring, if you survive. Solstice ceremonies tend to involve candles and darkness. In some traditions, a typical ritual might look something like the following. Before midnight, a congregation is supplied with candles before the lights are turned off. A moment is taken to feel the weight of darkness and silence. This is the end of one cycle when the earth dies. At the moment midnight passes, the day begins to grow longer once again. The ceremony leader then lights their candle and the contagious flame gets spread around from person to person in a beautiful representation of our hope and endurance and the ability to help each other. Hope that the sun will come back and lead us into spring without too much trauma while the earth lies sleeping. The most iconic North American animal associated with the winter rest is of course the noble bear. Groundhog Day is named after a second less intimidating mammal. While some mammals are able to hibernate, many reptiles employ a similar method called brumation. These details differ from warm to cold-blooded animals, but the idea is the same. By slowing down cellular metabolism, they are able to sleep deeply enough that they can survive a prolonged period of undesirable conditions, be it weather or food. We are still discovering how temperature and light affect plant development and behavior. We know even less about how this relates to animals. We know that for some reptiles, temperature during incubation can influence gender. Light directly affects us in many ways beyond helping us see. Special eyewear has been designed to block particular wavelengths of blue light. In 2021, we look at several screens every night, and our normal lighting is able to emit daylight using LEDs. For people who are sensitive, this can be enough to disrupt their sleep. The reason is that our retinas not only deliver images to our visual cortex, but also to deeper, older parts of our brains. We tend to notice our bodies when something goes wrong, but they are aware of the temperature, whether or not we feel warm or are shivering. In getting ready to go to sleep, our brains rely in part on the assumption that our eyes will notice a gradual darkening of the sky with a nice transition to night and plenty of time to adjust for firelight. When our eyes tell our brain that there is a strong light and blue wavelengths, it doesn't have a reason to produce melatonin for drowsiness. Instead, we go to bed with our phones mere inches from our eyes. Savvy tech companies have rolled out software that attempts to cut out the blue light 
meant to tell our brains that it's daytime. Melatonin, not to be confused with melanin, the pigment, is available in supplement form to help boost our supply when we need to sleep. If you have cut out screen time before bed and still have trouble sleeping, maybe these vitamins can help. Day by day and night by night, time marches on with predictable regularity. We understand more about the mechanical workings of time on Earth, which makes winter solstice less scary these days. But like most topics, time is far more complicated when looked at closely enough. If elevation affects time, is there a tiny difference from sea level to mountaintop in how long a second lasts? How long is a second on the space station? If you fly into a black hole at the speed of light, can you travel through time? There are so many things we don't understand yet. What we do know is that our speed of rotation is slowing down, making a year on Earth not quite exactly 365 days. In fact, seconds have been added to the clock more than once in order to adjust for this. We think of time as a constant variable, but our relationship with it is very subjective. It takes effort to view oneself as larger than an individual, more like a small piece of something much bigger. Our single lifetime is far too short to compare to planetary changes. A mere few hundred years is at scale for an average tree. Dendrochronology is a study of tree rings and it appears they have much to teach us. We analyze each ring and learn about the atmosphere at the time, how much it rained that year, etc. As the earth continues to change over time, we must remember that there are trees who were born centuries before us, and they will hopefully continue on after we die for centuries more. They will keep counting the years, and their story may not be so great, but people still around next century may learn more about the progression of climate change year by year, and perhaps the dendrochronologists will write about how much longer the year has gotten. The Everything, One Bite at a Time podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for listening.